Hi, it's Rob West. Do you need help developing a spending and or debt reduction plan? Trained MoneyWise coaches can assist using practical tools and biblical insights to get you on track. You can request a MoneyWise coach by going to moneywise.org and clicking the community tab. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells his disciples, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I am Rob West. We have that same calling today as followers of Christ to share the good news of the gospel wherever we go, including at work and in the business world. I have some advice to help you do that. And then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is MoneyWise, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. We all need to look for ways to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Christ. But the workplace and business world can provide unique opportunities for witnessing. Business people especially come in contact with many different people, like associates, customers, and vendors. And while doing that, they can make a strong witness for Christ. And that doesn't mean proselytizing. A better way to interest people in Christ is to act differently than the world by always acting with absolute integrity and honesty and showing respect and concern for others. God knows this, of course, and that's probably why his word contains so many passages about work. We were ordained to be workers even before the fall. We see work referred to as a gift in Genesis 2 and a gift from God in Ecclesiastes 5. We're also commanded to work in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Work in its different forms is mentioned more than 800 times in the Bible, more than all the words used to express worship, music, praise, and singing combined. People in the business world have a unique platform through the practice of buying and selling to witness for Christ and leverage their kingdom influence. It's probably not a coincidence that when Jesus called the 12 disciples, many of them owned and operated businesses as tradesmen and commercial fishermen. And consider where Jesus spent a lot of his time during his earthly ministry. Of his 134 appearances, 122 of them are in the marketplace. He also told a total of 52 parables, and 45 of them have a workplace context. And the practice of witnessing in the business world continues with the apostles. Of the 40 divine interventions recorded in the book of Acts, 39 were in the marketplace. Obviously, the Holy Spirit and the apostles knew the value of witnessing in the business world. There's evidence for this throughout the Bible. In Hebrews 11, we find what's often called the Faith Hall of Fame. Listed there are the many who were saved by their faith, including Abel, Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, Rahab, and of course the list goes on. They weren't all necessarily business people by today's definition, but they all used their position and interactions to influence others around them for God. Only one of them was what you might call a religious professional. In the modern world, we have many examples of business people using their influence to lead others to Christ. In his book, God Owns My Business, Stanley Tam writes, Although I believe in the application of good principles in business, 
I place far more confidence in the conviction that I have a call from God. I am convinced that his purpose for me is in the business world. My business is my pulpit. We also see this demonstrated by the Green family, who owns Hobby Lobby, the Kathy family, owners of Chick-fil-A, the Maloons, owners of Correct Craft, and the Barnhart family, owners of Barnhart, Crane, and Rigging, who give away millions. Then there's, of course, R.G. Letourneau, who's often called the most inspiring Christian inventor, businessman, and entrepreneur the world has ever seen. He also gave millions to spreading the gospel. And, of course, the late Larry Burkett, whose legacy of teaching God's financial principles we try to carry on here at MoneyWise. He was also a successful businessman. Larry also wrote Business by the Book, where he lays out the biblical principles all Christian business people should follow. Larry was also intimately involved with the Fellowship of Companies for Christ and the Christian Businessmen's Committee. He passionately believed that your business is your pulpit. Now, I've talked a lot about the business world, but the opportunity to share the gospel with others extends to any work situation. You see, God strategically places his children everywhere. If you work for a paycheck or own a business, big or small, the Lord has given you a position of influence. He wants you to impact your coworkers, vendors, customers, and even your competitors for the cause of Christ. With the Holy Spirit, you can help point people to Christ and salvation. It's both a duty and an honor we should all gladly be a part of. All right, your calls are next. The number 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Siri, what's the best way to save for college? Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, what does the Bible say about co-signing for a loan or investing for retirement? I don't know that either. But you can find those answers on the free MoneyWise app. Really? Sure. You can connect with the online community and get answers and encouragement from MoneyWise coaches. That sounds great. Siri, download the MoneyWise app. Got it. Learn, Learn more, more at MoneyWise.org. When it comes to investing guidance, you want advice grounded in God's Word. That's the approach offered by Sound Mind Investing. SMI has helped tens of thousands of Christians acquire investing wisdom and confidence. Regardless of your investing experience or how much you have to invest, you can learn to be a wise and faithful steward in the area of investing. A short video webinar on profit and peace of mind is available now at soundmindinvesting.org. Welcome back to Money Wise. I'm Rob West. 800-525-7000. Let's go to Miami, Florida. Didi, you've been very patient. You go right ahead. I have a condo. It's paid off. It's worth about three fifty, And I also have a mortgage that's about $200. $140 is 2%. The other 60 is at a deferred payment at the end. And I was just wondering... If I should sell it or and pay off that mortgage or keep it because I can clear about twelve hundred a month. Okay, and so you're clearing twelve hundred a month. Does that mean after the debt service of the two hundred thousand dollar mortgage plus other expenses, you have twelve hundred left over, or before expenses? No, no, twelve hundred on the condo itself. Okay, and then you have to pay the mortgage out of the twelve hundred. No, no, no. There's uh, okay. no that is clear. 
I have oh, enough okay. other additional income to pay the bills that I have. Okay. So let, let's back up then for a second. So what's the value of the, the condo? Is that the 350000 Correct. Okay. And then the 200000 mortgage, 140 and sixty, is that on your primary residence or is that on the condo? Correct. Primary. Okay. So the, the condo the is condo free and clear. Is okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so the only expenses you have, because you don't really have a whole lot of maintenance, uh, are just the condo association and taxes, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, and then are you living on uh, that 1200 as a part of your income, or are you uh, just able to bank that? I can bank it. Okay. Yeah. So I think the, the question really comes down to, I mean, if, if you were to uh, take that 350000 and you'd have some expenses, let's say you sell it and it costs 6% for the realtor and other transaction costs. I mean, you could probably, uh, you know, take that 350000 and invest it. And typically we would look at a withdrawal rate of about 4% a year where you could just maintain the three fifty and, you know, generate, uh, you know, 4% a year, which is still only after expenses, probably $1,100 a month. So right now, uh, you know, you're getting the appreciation of the condo, which South Florida real estate's growing like crazy. Um, and they're not making any more waterfront. So, you know, uh, you know, I think that you'll continue to see that part of the country perhaps outpace the rest, even though it may not go up as quickly as it has the last couple of years. But so you're getting the appreciation on the condo and you're getting $1,200 on top of that uh, per month after expenses. So that's a good deal because I would have said to you, if you were to take that money and invest it, you'd probably be able to take 1200 or 1100 a month, but that's just to maintain an even 350000 uh, as opposed to what you're getting now. The only question is, do you want to get out of the business of being a landlord? Uh, now, it's a little less than if it was a single-family home because you've got a condo association and they're taking care of the common areas and so forth, but you have to market it and make sure there's still a renter in there and you know deal with the phone calls and that kind of thing. So, if if you're okay continuing to do that financially, I kind of like you hanging on to this property, letting it appreciate and continuing to draw this income versus selling it and trying to invest it. But I think that, it, you know, assumes you're willing to continue to be a landlord for this property. Yeah, I don't mind. That was kind of the way I was thinking anyway, but I was also thinking it would be good to get out of this debt with the house. So, yeah. That was my yeah. <laughs> dilemma yeah. there. So I'm glad. Well, and you bring up a saying. great point there is I love the idea of you being debt free. And, you know, I've said many times before on this program that I've never gotten a call from somebody saying, man, Rob, I paid off my house a year ago and I just really regret it. I mean, I don't get that call. So if you have either a conviction from the Lord around being debt-free or you just want the peace of mind that comes from knowing you're unencumbered and getting rid of that uh, that mortgage, then I'd say this is a great opportunity to lock in probably a pretty significant profit on that condo and use that money to pay off this debt on your primary residence. And then you can invest the difference. 
If you're okay with it, though, I think, uh, you know, I would probably hang on to it for the reasons I mentioned and because you have such a low interest rate on this mortgage. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's really just, you know, there's the financial side of this and then there's the non-financial side. We've been talking about the financial side. So I think the question you need to answer, DD, is how important is the non-financial side to you uh, of being completely out of debt and unencumbered and the peace of mind that would come from that? If that's significant, then I think it'd be worth it to go ahead and do it. Yeah, well, I think I'll go along with keeping it. <laughs> okay. Both okay. ways is good. It was just yeah. that I was in a dilemma. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. You really can't lose here. Um, and so I think you're approaching it the right way. But if you're comfortable continuing to hang on to this mortgage at a low interest rate and the condos continuing to cash flow like it is, I think you're in pretty good shape and certainly being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. So thank you for your call, Didi. I hope that was helpful and perhaps confirming what you were already thinking. Uh, let me uh, take a quick email uh, if we can. Uh, we get emails all the time at uh, questions at moneywise.org. And uh, this one comes to us from Marlene. Here's the question. Uh, Marlene says, I'm 57 years old and recently retired. I work part-time and get a small pension. My husband and I have been married for 35 years and our house is paid for. All the utilities are in his name and I haven't had a credit card in years, so I have no credit. I just looked at my score for the first time in my life and it's a 639. I'd like to get a card for emergencies. I applied for a credit card and was denied, not because of bad credit, but because of no credit history. I'd like to know how I proceed from here. And uh, Marlene, it is wise uh, to establish credit in your own name in the event your husband passes away. Uh, You can start by getting what we call a secured credit card in your name only. Uh, You would deposit $300 to, let's say, $500 in that account with the bank, and you're allowed to charge up to that amount. But don't. You'll want to make one budgeted purchase a month that's less than 30% of your credit limit and then pay that amount off in full each month. When you do that, Marlene, your score will begin to rise. And in time, you'll be able to qualify for an unsecured card, which is, uh, I think, a good idea, especially if you're a spouse and your only access to credit is as an authorized user. Keep in mind, if your spouse were to pass away, that card would be canceled and you'd be left perhaps without a convenient way to pay for things. So uh, what Marlene is describing here and establishing credit in her name through my suggestion of a secured credit card makes a lot of sense uh, for married couples. Marlene, we appreciate you sending us that email. Andy, uh, I've got about a minute before the break. Tell me your question and then I might have to answer it on the other side. Go ahead. Sure. Thanks, Rob. Uh, My wife and I are planning for her to resign from her job pretty soon as she has some other things on her heart to do to serve the Lord. We both have a retirement account. I've got a 401k with my job. She's got a pension with the municipality that she works for. Um, We just want to know, as she resigns from her job, what our options are for what to do with the money that's in her retirement account. Yeah. So do you have the ability to take a lump sum or to turn that into an income stream monthly? Yeah, or turn it into an IRA, but we're not sure how that works, like if we'd be able to continue to contribute to it or 
or, the, yeah. or not. Yeah, you would. I mean, so, you know, I would look at what's the value of the lump sum that they would give you versus what they're going to give you as a monthly payout just to see which makes more sense. In most cases, it makes more sense to take the full amount as a lump sum distribution to roll it to an IRA. And then as long as she has earned income uh, or you do, because then she'd be able to contribute as a spouse, then you can still contribute to that uh, IRA moving forward if you have the ability to add more money to it. Uh, do this. You and I will finish up off the air. We're going to take a quick break and we come back much more on MoneyWise. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be right back. Do you ever feel stressed or anxious about money? If so, that's normal, but you don't have to accept that. You can find peace of mind and financial security. Learn how with the 31-day devotional, Money Seeking God's Wisdom. You'll find powerful scripture and practical exercises for spiritual and financial growth. You can request your copy with a gift of any amount. Would you consider a monthly or one-time gift by December 31st? Just visit moneywise.org slash give. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I couldn't have had the procedure I needed without CHM's help sharing the bills. That letter from a member displays Christian Healthcare Ministries' purpose to glorify God and serve His people. CHM is the original non-insurance voluntary health cost-sharing ministry, enabling its members to share the cost of each other's medical bills. Call 800-791-6225 or visit chministries.org. Thanks for tuning in today to Money Wise. So glad to have you along with us as we apply God's truth to your financial life, recognizing God owns it all. We're a steward. Money is a tool, and it's to be used to accomplish God's purposes. And that, you know, His Word, 2,350 verses of them, uh, really gives us the principles, the pathway to experience God's best. Does that mean we'll always have everything that we need financially? No, absolutely not. We'll be in times of need. We'll be in times of plenty. The key is to find contentment, being content in what God has already provided wherever we're at, beginning with not the financial, beginning with his promises. He'll never leave us or forsake us, beginning with first and foremost that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. If we just start there, we'll recognize we already have an abundance. Now, now, financially speaking, wherever we're at, whatever passes through our hands, we want to be found faithful in using God's resources for His glory, and the principles are so clear, and they can be profoundly simple if we just look at God's Word and see what He has for us. Well, let's try to apply those to what's going on in your financial life. Mundelein, Illinois. Jacob, thanks for calling. Go right ahead. Hi, Rob. Thanks for taking my call, and thanks for your wisdom and your heart. Um, my question is, my my father and mother-in-law are getting an inheritance um, and plan to tithe on that inheritance. Uh, and after so, they plan to tithe on that inheritance. Uh, and they um, uh, then after that plan to gift my wife and I a portion of that inheritance as well. Is yeah. that something that we should be tithing on as well? 
Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I think we have to back up and just recognize, you know, how we should approach our giving. Um, and when we look at it, we know that we should give of our time, talent, and treasure. And as it relates to our treasure, clearly we should be generous givers of the financial resources God has uh, provided to us. And the how of our giving, well, we see that we should give cheerfully. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. We're also supposed to give sacrificially, trusting that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ's glory. And and we should also uh, give as an overflow of our thanksgiving uh, for his love for us and sacrifice, starting with his son, Jesus. And yes, in terms of the mechanical side, I believe we should give systematically and in proportion to what God has entrusted to us. And that's where applying the principle of the tithe, giving a tenth of our increase as a beginning point, perhaps not an end, but a starting point, is a great way to go because it's a recognition of God's ownership and just an act of worship as we demonstrate our trust in him. Now, if we're applying the principle of the tithe, Jacob, and we want to make sure we don't get kind of legalistic in that where we you know, are doing it under compulsion, but if we're doing it with the right heart, I think it's a great approach. Um, then we would look at it and say, okay, what is my increase? Well, your increase, regardless of what happened to it before it became your stewardship responsibility, uh, it's only your increase when you receive it, regardless of you know what your in-laws have done with it. So you would say, we're recognizing an increase to us, uh, and then we're going to give back to the Lord on that. So you would give a tithe at that point, regardless whether or not, you know, the, the person before you uh, tithed on it or not. Technically speaking, if we look at this principle of the increase, well, it's really not an increase for your in-laws because they're receiving it and passing it right through to you. They're just choosing to give on it, uh, you know, because they want to honor the Lord. And that's great. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that, but it really isn't an increase to them, whereas it is to you. So the net amount that you receive, you would say, God, thank you for this provision. I want to give a tithe on this, and therefore I'm returning a tenth back to you. So I would say the short answer to the question, although I wanted to get those caveats out there about our heart motivation and so forth, is that as you receive it, you would recognize it as an increase and then tithe on it. Great. Thank you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome, Jacob. We appreciate you checking in with us. 800-525-7000. Looks like we have one line open. Uh, Chicago, Illinois. Um, is it uh, Alan or Aline? This Aline, is Aline, you go right ahead. But I'm, but I'm not from Chicago. I'm from Tennessee. Okay. Uh, well, I, I got both I'll of listen. them wrong then. <laughs> okay. That's all right. I, and, and, and I listen to you on WMEW, and thank you for your program. Great. My thank question you. has to do with my son. Uh, he has taught school for 18 years. The last 10 years has been considered in a depressed area. He did okay. try to get some uh, some loan forgiveness because of that. Now, I don't know yes. if he's checked through anything else or not. My question is, is this just a plot to, to the the program that goes through the government to get the loans, or will this also apply to personal private loans? 
Uh, yeah. So what we're talking about here is specifically for uh, the federal loan program, uh, not necessarily the the private loan. So uh, you know, loans under the uh, fa- federal family education loan program or the uh, federal Perkins loan program or any other program are not eligible uh, for these. This would be only loans from the direct loan program, specifically for the public service loan forgiveness. Uh, but then there's also the teacher's loan forgiveness program, which may have been the one he was looking at, which is where if you're a full-time teacher at an eligible school uh, for five complete and consecutive academic years, uh, at least one of those has to have been after 1997-98, uh, then you can qualify for up to 17500 in forgiveness. And it really depends upon uh, what classes you were teaching. So it does get pretty specific. Uh, so I would uh, go to the U.S. Department of Education's website, ed.gov, and you can read about these various um, uh, loan forgiveness programs, the public service loan forgiveness, teachers loan forgiveness, and then there's a couple of others. There's the Perkins loan uh, cancellation for teachers and then state-sponsored student loan forgiveness programs. All four of those are detailed on the U.S. Department of Education's website, and I think I think as you start by looking at the the main tenets of what it takes to require uh, to meet that requirement, then you'll he'll know quickly whether he does uh, qualify. And then to confirm that, there's actually a form uh, on the website that you would submit, and the Department of Education will give you a definitive answer on that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And thank you very much. Okay. Thank you so much. We appreciate your call today. Well, before we run today, I want to ask you about how you think about money. Do you control how you spend it, save it, and give it? Or does it seem to control you? Well, every day we talk about what the Bible has to say about money and how important it is to have a plan for how we manage it. If you haven't already done so, let me recommend that you check out the free MoneyWise app and let it help you get started on building a plan and working that plan so you control your money rather than it controlling you. You can find links to it on our website at moneywise.org. I'm Rob West. Many thanks to our amazing broadcast team and to you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time right here on MoneyWise. MoneyWise is provided by MoneyWise Media and listeners like you.